For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, visit a competition in Tempe where hundreds of truckers gather to prove their skill. Learn about a Tucson group that promotes laughter as a healthy group activity. And how did Pine Top, Arizona really get its name? I'll talk with historian and artist Bob Bowes-Bell. Plus, find out how a Greenlandic singer-songwriter built a musical connection to Tucson. We've got a spotlight session with Nevi Nielsen. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. In the 1970s, truckers captured a part of the American imagination, and the profession and its culture became the basis for songs, movies, and TV shows. That pop culture appeal may not have lasted, but trucking still plays a vital role in American industry. Last month, nearly 200 truck drivers assembled in Tempe for the State Truck Driving Championship, and Christopher Conover was there. The trip to the finals is a long road. For driver Chris Finn, it begins at Conway Freight's Tucson facility. It's Saturday, seven days before the finals. Finn's day off, and he's in the cab practicing. The skills competition involves what drivers do every day on the job. Finn is driving in the three-axle division this year. Much of his practice will center on the skill many people fear on their own driving test, parallel parking. For a truck driver, that means putting the trailer at a right angle to the cab. Our idea in this one is to try to, as if you're parallel parking somewhere between a few cars, something to test skills, to get my trailer inside this box without hitting anything. And the closer I get to this line, as if this were the curb, is where I get more points. Why would a driver get involved in the competitions? It kind of ups your level of how you feel about yourself. I look at it as someone that goes out in the street and plays basketball in the park is just an amateur. I think once you get paid to do something, you're a professional. So this takes you up a level from that to where you start feeling that in yourself because you see your abilities. Once you've done better than half the other people there, and you know maybe not necessarily one, but it makes you feel more prideful in what you do and realize the knowledge you have and how it's put to use out there in the streets every day and your ability to drive without having an accident for that year to get there in the first place. Practice is over for the day. Next stop is Phoenix and the competition. Finn begins championship day with the pre-trip inspection competition. He has six minutes to find as many hidden problems as he can on a truck. Each time he finds one, he says defect, and the judges mark the score sheet. Landing legs are down, defect. The truck driving championships are considered the Super Bowl of driving. Tony Bradley, the president of the Arizona Trucking Association, says safety and precision are the orders of the day, not speed. The skills that these drivers are going through, when they're going through a corner, it's a matter of inches with the, the furthest rear tire on the right side of their vehicle, within, you know, getting it within an inch of a duck. 
And you know, these guys tell me all the time, they're driving around the city doing these obstacles around $100,000 cars, but that duck you know, means a lot to them because it is against their peers and it's about safety. And the, you're absolutely right, the precision is what matters and the things that they do in these vehicles that are huge and on our roads every day are amazing. After hours of waiting, Finn finally gets his chance behind the wheel. First up, parallel parking. Then the right hand turns, don't hit the duck, then the slalom. Minutes after finishing, Finn gives a quick assessment of the run. I um, feel way better on it than I expected to do. I, I, didn't, I don't like to hold high expectations, but I, I felt really good about how it went. Finn's dad is waiting for him on the sidelines. <laughs> not like everyone said I did all right, what do you think? I'm going to do 250 out of three. You drove that one corner up there like you've been doing that thing for about 20 years. <laughs> I'm very proud of you. It real well. Dad was right to be proud. Finn won the three-axle division, had the best overall score on the driving, and won grand champion, meaning he's the best driver in the state. Next stop, Nationals this August in St. Louis. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Christopher Conover. The value of physical exercise in helping control weight, boost energy, and improve health is well documented. But what about the value of a common activity that feels good and that almost anyone can do regardless of physical ability? Next, Tony Paniagua takes us to a unique exercise class in Tucson that is marking its fifth anniversary of SMILES. Imagine going to an exercise class where your focus, your objective, is to laugh. That's right, you're encouraged to laugh loud and clear. Don't hold back, let it all out. This is laughter yoga and it's not a joke. It's part of a movement that began in India in the 1990s and has spread all over the world. <laughs> we sort of fell into it. We went to a laughter yoga club and then shortly after became certified and it just sort of fell into place. That's Tucson resident Jana Zeff. She and her friend Lodi Guest have been leading laughter yoga classes in Southern Arizona since May of 2010. Every Tuesday night, regardless of weather, holidays, social responsibilities, or anything else, one or both of them keeps the laughter going. <laughs> Lodi Guest, the other laughter leader, is a psychotherapist by day. And it isn't about laughter necessarily, it's about... Um, expression of emotion. Guest says laughter yoga is credited with having healing benefits. Among them are better sleep and reducing depression or anxiety. We had one person come who was going through a separation that day and she came in and said, you know, this is going on with me. And we all laughed, and it wasn't in a funny sort of way. And she said she never felt better. <laughs> Again, Jana Zeff. 
we're not pretending to cure major diseases, but for a lot of people that can't move very much, or if nothing else, just breathing really deep, this is a form of exercise. The idea in laughter yoga is that you can laugh for no reason, without stimulants such as alcohol or tickling. Basic rules. Make eye contact, don't talk to other people, and follow the routines as best as possible if physically able. Some of the laughter yoga exercises that we do, um, we do greeting laughter. My name is Joe Beth. <laughs> I'm a preschool teacher. <laughs> we shake hands laughter, we do um, animal laughter. We do the Goldie Hawn, um, we play a game called Woosh Koosh, we, play, we do follow the leader laughter, we do a laughter meditation. We sing in gibberish in laughter yoga and gibberish is a way to sort of loosen things up and be silly and so we usually sing happy birthday. And at Christmas time, we sing uh, Christmas carols in gibberish. Participants admit it does feel strange at the beginning, even uncomfortable looking at strangers and making an effort to laugh. But soon, you forget about that. I saw a demo of it, and I thought, oh, this is easy. I can do this. No big deal. Debbie Chavanel discovered laughter yoga in 2014 when she wanted relief from a stressful job in customer service. Since then, she has retired, but her weekly doses continue. I love it. I don't get to act like a kid any other time of the week, except for this hour here. And uh, it just refreshes my mind. I'm good for the rest of the week after this. Jim Toomey is one of the other regulars. It's fun, as you've seen tonight. It's contagious. Everybody starts laughing. And so it starts fake, but then it becomes real and you feel good. What does it do for you? Helps me become present. Uh, it gets the endorphins going. Uh, I just feel happy. <laughs> Debbie Chavanel. It's uh, good for any type of mobility issues because you don't have to move around if you don't want to. There's, it's not your typical yoga class. It's more like, I say it's more like yoga for my brain. And I, I, it just frees up my brain and uh, I'm a better person for it. And at the end of the class, the sounds become more familiar, at least if you're used to hearing about yoga. And what we'll do is we'll close with a hum. We'll take in a deep breath and let it out with a hum. Take a deep breath in. Um. Laughter leader Lodi Guest. I watched people tonight and knew people and I thought, wow, what courage it takes to express emotion with strangers, you know? And um, so I feel really honored to be able to provide that service as well as to be able to participate in it. Jana Zeff, any idea on the number of people who have come through these doors since you began in 2010? You know, anywhere from 12 to 25 people each night, each Tuesday. So I can't do that math problem. <laughs> but she can't promise more laughs next week. Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Tony Paniagua.
The classes last about one hour and are open to the public. You can find more information on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. In April, the Arizona History Convention held in Tucson provided a chance for historians to present their research, compare notes, and share their favorite stories with an audience of enthusiasts. Among the speakers was Bob Bose Bell, a historian, artist, and writer who lives in Cave Creek, where he produces and publishes True West magazine. Bell came to the convention to discuss how the legends of the Southwest have grown and changed over the years. And I talked with him about a few, including Billy the Kid, one historical figure who became a legend during his own lifetime. Uh, yes, the last year of his life, there were uh, serials uh, in the newspaper, which he read. Uh, he was not known as Billy the Kid until the last six months of his life. He was, uh, his real name was Henry McCarty. Uh, and there's been 60 movies made about Billy the Kid. Now, how many would you go see about a guy named Henry? Henry the Kid. Henry. <laughs> Henry's a real bad dude. But uh, he went by aliases. We don't know where he got the alias Billy Bonnie, but he did. And uh, he was known as uh, Billy Kid. And it took a newspaper writer in 1880, uh, last six months of his life, to uh, call him Billy the Kid in print. And by then, the name was just so magic. It just has a little bit of stardust in it. And uh, there's been 65 movies made on Billy the Kid. There's been over a thousand books on Billy the Kid and 65 movies. Think about that. How many books have there been on Jimmy Carter? I think about that. <laughs> I was doing a book signing and I mentioned, I asked that. And of course, we're living in the age of instant answers. And I heard this click 385. You know, welcome <laughs> to okay. Google, you know. Yeah. Uh, remember forgetting? That's gone. Yeah, you can't forget things anymore and get no. away with it. Our film writer, Christy Scheel, once examined some Billy the Kid movies, and he came away with the opinion that the true story has never even been close to being told. Is that common with these these uh, legends that have come to us from the Old West? Well, they're legends for a reason, which means that they won't die. And there's nothing I can say on this show or in, uh, anybody can film on a uh, film that could ever uh, make it the final word, okay? And here's the magic to Billy the Kid, okay? He's a cold-blooded killer. He's the all-American boy. And those things do not go together, but they creates electricity. Because when you put them together, it's like the two poles of the battery. And it creates a... And it creates electricity. And we're still perking on this 134 years later. Now, I'm going to the 75th anniversary of the pageant in Lincoln, New Mexico, and Billy the Kid still is riding high. They get ten to 20,000 people there every year. You talk about the, the murders that he committed, the killings yeah. that he did. Do you feel that he thought that he had moral reason to commit those acts, or was he doing it for profit or outlawism? Outlawism, I like that. Uh, he, of course, had an answer for everything. In fact, Pat Garrett in his... Uh, 
uh, biography on the kid when uh, after the kid was killed said that that's what bugged him about Billy was that he had an answer for everything. But he all of those can be defended. He was uh, you had a, you had a corrupt government in New Mexico. Imagine that, and uh, they uh, the law was corrupt. It was bought off. And he was fighting for a cause he believed in. And when you get in that zone, that's a very uh, odd thing, you know. You ever heard of ISIS? <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe I've seen some headlines. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, it's that it's that not to compare him to that, but it, but it's very similar in the sense that uh, what what people believe and what people choose to believe is a fact in itself. And myths and legends are so fascinating because they say more about us than they do about the actual people. Let's hear a couple of stories from True West Moments. Now, is this a collection of things that were printed in the magazine? Uh, True West Moments is a little featurette that I've been running uh, since 2011 in the Arizona Republic. And I, before that, I did uh, bumpers on the Western Channel. So you may have heard me or seen me on the Western Channel. And between movies, I would come on and tell you a little factoid, like that Billy the Kid was a dishwasher, stuff like that. Well, then let's try a couple. I'll, I'll give you the title, and, uh, and you see if you can give me a tall tale or a, a story in return. All right, the town named for a hairdo. Well, Pine Top, we all think that that was named because Pine Top is in the tallest Ponderosa Pine yeah. uh, section of the world. That makes not, sense. Not true. Walt Rigney had a saloon there in the 1890s, and the soldiers would come in, and they called him Old Pine Top because he had a bushy hairdo. And people started building houses around that area. And when it came time to have a post office, they decided to call it Pine Top. And it's named for a bushy-haired bartender, not for the actual trees. Well, I like that story. That's a good one. You know, I don't. Uh, let me see if you've heard this one. This maybe you haven't. Um, Larry Schnebly talks about his family moving in and establishing the post office in Sedona, what is now Sedona, and that his grandfather wanted it to be called Schnebly Station. But that didn't fit on the cancellation stamp. And so then they called it Sedona. And the joke is that if they'd called it Schnebly Station, no one would want to live there now. So. Yeah. Well, the same thing's true in uh, another town. And there was two ranchers that were in a valley. And they uh, woke up on July 4th, 1874. And they went, you know what? This place isn't big enough for us. Let's draw cards. They played a game of seven up, which is the favorite cowboy uh, card game. And Mr. Clark said, uh, if you uh, show low, the place is yours. And he turned over and he said, do some clubs. And he said, Sholo it is. And that's how Sholo got its name. Now, everyone's really thrilled that he didn't ask for a straight flush. Tell me about Pearl Hart, Highway Woman. Well, Pearl Hart is a great story because uh, we don't know who to believe. She was either a farm girl who went wrong or a prostitute who needed the money. But her and Joe Boot, probably an alias, uh, robbed a stage. It's out by Thatcher, Safford Globe in that area. And they were caught immediately. And she was uh, he was sentenced to Yuma Prison. And uh, she, because she was a woman, they didn't know what to do with her. And so they had her in Tucson here. And they just had her in an apartment. Well, she jumped a train and took off, and they caught her in Deming and brought her back, and they finally put her in uh, Yuma, and she became a celebrity because uh, everybody was the, the woman, the female robber. Famous picture was taken. And then she was mysteriously let go. And come to find out, she was, uh, the rumor was she was pregnant. And there had only been two people in to see her. One was the warden, and one was the governor of Arizona. So <laughs> we can't get away from politics in Arizona. That was historian, author, and artist Bob Bowes-Bell. 
Nivi Nielsen's bio begins with the sentence, a team of the greatest children's book writers in the world couldn't invent this Greenlandic folk pop singer. Nielsen's journey to becoming an indie recording artist didn't follow a predictable path. She now regularly tours the far north and Europe with her band The Dear Children, but collaborating with Hal Gelb led the young singer-songwriter to Tucson, where she formed a new band with local musicians. I started my interview by asking Nivi Nielsen about the urban legend that Alaskan natives have many words for snow. It's kind of a long-winded explanation. It's because we're Inuit people are all the way from Greenland, throughout Canada, all the way to Alaska. We have what I guess linguists call one language, but in fact, it's a lot of dialects. And so somebody said that counting all of the dialects. And then a lot of the words that they also counted were like, it's kind of just descriptive, just like English has slush and just that kind of thing. So sure, I think we have a lot of words for snow and it's useful, probably more words for snow than than a lot of other languages, but it's definitely not a thousand. <laughs> well, what's one of your favorite words for snow? I don't have a favorite word for snow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked because on your bio, it says that one of the things you love is walking in snow. I do. Yeah. I do. Especially not in shoes, like in chemics. I don't know. It's fun to walk in snow. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe the music that you grew up listening to? Oh, I don't know. There'll be lots of different different things. There's a lot of Greenlandic music. It's kind of from the 70s or the 80s. And, I don't know. My mom listened to the radio a lot. I like classical music every Sunday, all day. It'd be classical music. But when did you decide that you wanted to be a songwriter? That was really something that came up really late. Like I was already studying in university, studying to get my bachelor's in political science. And um, it was kind of a wrong choice for me, but I'm stubborn, so I finished it. And because I was really actually not that interested in it, I needed to do something else and started playing music. And all of a sudden that took over on its own. It wasn't like a plan. I never ever thought that I was gonna be a musician. Your songwriting sounds very mature, very self-assured for somebody who maybe didn't pick it up till later. Yeah, that's something that came about after some time because in the beginning I was really, really shy because I couldn't ident- identify myself as a musician. Like it's it's such a completely different thing. It was that I didn't see myself as, and so it took me a long time to um, to be able to sing in front of people and not be super shy or shaking or <laughs> I've improved a lot I actually enjoy playing shows now I used to just do it because I was stubborn <laughs> it would have been nothing to do if I were What do you play on stage most? Um, guitar and, and a small, smaller guitar. I 
<laughs> a ukulele guitar. It's not really a ukulele. It's, it's like a kid's guitar, but it has six strings. Like, and what, why do you choose to play it, though? Um, it gives, like, a... Uh, I like the sound. It's higher, and it's... Um, it was the first guitar I was given. The first guitar was a little red guitar, and uh, that that's what I started writing songs on. It, and... I don't know. It's it's fun to play a small guitar. I guess small fingers. She singing about in your song called Grandma Marie? That would be my grandmother Marie. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's um, she's dead now. She lived in Denmark for for 30 years. Um, she she was from Greenland and um, she was kind of a pretty special lady. She um, she had a pretty rough life, I guess. And um, and I had very um kind of mixed feelings about her. So it was a perfect thing to write a song about, like a complicated relationship with, you know, you love someone and you still remember what they did. recorded a song called Rock and Roll for Abner J. Yeah. And in it, you give a theory about why you think that kids love rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, because it's terrible. <laughs> but that's like the best rock and roll lyric. <laughs> Tell us more. Well, I think the word terrible could is was used in two different ways. It can be awful, but also... A long time ago it also would mean that it was great and um so that's why it's pretty cool to use that word i thought because it is both like it can be terrible and be great <laughs> why do you think kids like rock and roll rock and roll rock and roll because it's terrible it's terrible That was singer and songwriter Nivy Nielsen and a band including Hal Gelb. Recorded and mixed by Jim Blackwood with assistance from Jameson Waddell in the AZPM studios. You can find the complete session on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. And listen for new stairwell sessions this summer. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. 
You can find podcasts by searching Arizona Spotlight on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The music is by Calexico. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. <laughs>